the other thing that like really shocked me getting immersed in this space in the last few years really and thinking about a solution is just the exasperation and the tone of well this is how it's always been and this is how it always will be right and it sucks to be an sdr mm. suck it up yeah. that's the baptism of fire you have to do to become a good seller it's like well what why do i have to spend six months of my career throwing darts at the wall in the dark mm. while drunk and blindfolded and, and seeing what lands like why do we have to antagonize and ruin our brand ruin our personal brand and our company's brand of all of these unnamed names at the end of the sequence Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? Welcome everybody back to another episode of Audience First. We have a very special guest with us today. Actually, it's a very special time because we're live at CyberTech and it's our first face-to-face in-person podcast for me at least i'm super thrilled to have victoria oh my gosh i'm gonna butcher your last name please help me out here germanova germanova okay (laughs) another member of the clan we have a lot of family who joins uh audience first why because a lot of israeli americans a lot of russians i am russian yes and vika is also russian victoria tell me who are you what do you do and why the hell do you do it (laughs) Thank you. Um, well, I guess it exposed me as not, in fact, a Brit, although my accent will very much suggest otherwise. Um, I, I'm, yeah, I'm an expat, like yourself. I moved from Russia as a kid to the UK, from the UK to the US for business school three years ago. Just finished Stanford last year. And I'm a founder. I started a company called Quality. We're in the cybersecurity space, which is, I guess, why we're talking right now. And we, and that this startup, this, um, Part for me really came about from going to an environment where everyone around me was incredibly entrepreneurial, finding problems, solving them, finding problems, finding solutions, pivoting, changing, and finding different approaches to solve some of the fundamental things that they saw. Um, for me, I started life and started strategy consulting. I went to a tech accelerator in Moscow right before business school and uh, got really interested in how and why companies seem to slow down. Um, in terms of innovation as they get bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was problems that I dealt with. Mm-hmm. But big companies, um, the start of my career, and then moving to smaller startups, being a director of sales at an early stage company, made me realize like, wow, so much leaks away, so much disappears as a company grows. Um, and that was a problem I decided to try and solve. Amazing. I love it. We're going to dig deeper into that just shortly. But I love the fact that you mentioned that you are uh, you graduated from Stanford. I'm Jealous, but super happy. I might live vicariously through you because I really wanted to get into Stanford and they didn't accept me. So good on you. Harvard didn't even give me an interview. Oh, so, well, you know, it's it's just, it's luck of the draw. I love it. I love it. So, mm-hmm. um, well, we're in Tel Aviv uh, today. And tell me a little bit why you're here in Tel Aviv. Well, we're not just in Tel Aviv. We're in a 
bong show. We're in a bong show. <laughs> everybody. Yeah. No, we're in the awesome and amazing uh, Fabric Hotel. We booked this conference room, which happens to be a bomb shelter. I mentioned, hey, Vika, by the way, those windows, take a look at them. Why are they sealed like that? And why does this room have only one tiny window? Yes, it's because we are in a bomb shelter and that is how we roll in Tel Aviv. We are super safe. We are all about security. And hence why we are here in Tel Aviv, all about security, because it's Cyber Tech Week. Quality is, uh, is you have a table? We're exhibiting, yeah. It's super exciting. Um, it's also a really big deal for us <clears throat> to be here because our team is all here. Mm-hmm. And we, much like you and I, have been working together for a while and only two of us have met each other. Wow. So everyone's coming out all the way to Israel. Uh, we'll have a booth. We're going to, we've already launched a bunch of stuff and we're going to be stepping out to the stage more broadly at CyberTech and meeting hopefully a whole bunch of vendors and buyers. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a really exciting time to be here. I love it. I love it. Love it. And I will take the blame for that, everybody, because I told the, uh, Vika she has to make her way out here. So thank you, Danny. Anyway. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, next, I, before we hit the record button, you mentioned that you went through a bunch of uh, buyer interviews, about 40 or so. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So um, as I mentioned, this realization that something is pretty broken um, in terms of how companies innovate was like a slow burner for me. That was just something that was something I was reflecting on, something that, you know, it was almost like academic interest as I stepped into business school. What this really all began from was something a lot more acute. And that was me doing the job of director of sales at an early stage company. I wasn't Salesforce as they were moving from a culture of we build everything ourselves to a culture of, hey, we should actually look to the market. Mm-hmm. So I got to participate on buying processes there a few times, but also spoke to salespeople and realized quickly that even this very well-oiled sales engine of Salesforce, perhaps the most well-funded sales walk in the industry, uh, had a bunch of complaints that seemed really like banal and strange to me. Um, folks were saying that, you know, it's really tough to find leads. It's t- tough to qualify buyers. What marketing hands over to sales hurts, um, doesn't solve for what they're looking to, who they're looking to meet and how they're looking to spend their time as AEs. Uh, so then jump, so hearing all of that secondhand and then jumping across into doing the job myself. showed me how bad that problem really is. Mm -hmm. I was tasked with generating new business and that meant sending hundreds of cold outreach out Mm -hmm. per day on LinkedIn. We had no BDR resource, no support. Uh, And the fact that I was getting a six, seven percent conversion rate, six or seven, not 67. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And that was being lauded as really, really good by my boss. Threw me for a switch. I was so convinced that I was going to be incredible at this job that 50% of doors are going to open my fancy schools and my you know carefully worded outreach was going to really just hit home and I'm just going to bring all this business in and that's just not how it works six percent was seen as great or convergent I was going to say I mean generally I've, I've seen one two percent you're right and the only reason it was six to be clear was that I was tapping people that were like who went to one of my schools mm-hmm. or like was a friend or a friend so that was my initial first, first few weeks okay of it slid obviously mm-hmm. after mm-hmm. that but what shocked me was that, you know, we spoke about the six, we were focused on the six. What about the other 94? Right. Because those weren't just, you know, 
messages that were going out into the ether that was hitting buyers mm -hmm. or targets, clients, prospects, people that I was almost tarnishing my rep with mm -hmm. straight away from the first interaction because I'm just sending them a message that they don't want to answer, mm -hmm. they don't want to receive, they don't want to read. Sometimes people got rude back. You know, I'm sure every salesperson has had that experience of being yelled at. So the problem really seemed to sit on both sides, the buyers and the vendors. And that's why we, when I came back to business school after that year out of doing that job, um, we started talking to buyers and, to, and vendors and trying to figure out why this doesn't work, what hurts right now, um, and how it could be better. So with the buyers that we spoke to, uh, initially we were talking to a lot of different industries uh, across B2B, just trying to figure out where this problem hurts the most. Mm -hmm. And we found that there were a few industries where that it seemed particularly acute, um, this kind of imbalance between what vendors are out there, how many vendors are out there, what they actually do, and then getting a good sense of that through to a smaller set of buyers who are very easy to recognize because they have something like security in their ties and let's say, mm -hmm. um, in the security industry, therefore get bombed by so much more outreach than even like a, you know, any other profile. Um, so from speaking to buyers, we had that, okay, healthcare, fintech, cybersecurity, three industries where particularly, um, this problem is particularly huge, basically. And the... It does not take long at all to get a buyer to start complaining mm -hmm. about LinkedIn and about their inbox. Like we would go in completely unprompted, mm -hmm. right? And just be like, hey, so like, what's on your mind? How's your week? What hurts right now? And they'd be mm -hmm. like, just got off the phone for the fourth time from someone who somehow got my cell number and thinks that I'm like, you know, I'm a landscape garden. You know what you want to be like, like really bad misfits, like yeah. clearly did no, made no effort. Um, and that's, you know, it doesn't really matter who you are. Like, you get that on yourself, whether you're a buyer or not. So how many of those are actually finding the target? Oh, my goodness. So you mentioned that you managed to get people to open up. What was kind of the, the tactic or the strategy to get them to open up? Like, or how did you successfully reach them? Buyers? Yeah. I mean, this goes back to sales 101, right? Um, ask questions. Look for pain. Mm -hmm. you, as a salesperson, you don't. You do not pitch until you have got the person on the other side right. to start talking about something that hurts. Because okay. if your product doesn't solve a pain, then you're not, you shouldn't be in that business because it's not going to succeed. Mm -hmm. um, so it really was just a process of asking questions. Um, in that initial wave of research that we did, you know, I had the kind of, hey, we're like researching an answer. We're not selling a product. So it was easier to open some doors mm -hmm. as obviously things developed. And we <clears throat> focused it on cybersecurity as one industry where we can um, hopefully build something that works by achieving network density by actually solving for one subset where that is really cute. As things developed and it became more of a, hey, we're like thinking about a solution here. We're building a product. Um, it becomes even more important now that you don't have your little I'm a student hat on, you have your I'm trying to talk to you about commercial opportunity hat on mm -hmm. to really focus on what hurts and what, what pains them. And the things we heard from cybersecurity buyers in particular was always, you know, the pain of cold out inbound, um, having to justify and defend their budget, having to fight really hard for budget mm -hmm. from the board or yeah. from the CEO or the CIO, mm -hmm. and then having to also justify where it's going. And third of all, um, the fact that so much of it goes on renewals that end up kind of rushed, right? Mm -hmm. Things that are bought for a, a reason and then as things evolve, don't necessarily fit that like, <clears throat> need anymore or aren't the best solution, but there just isn't a 
things just end up renewing automatically. Things just end up being rushed and bars aren't very helpful in that situation either. I want to dig into the renewals part. Why, uh, in your opinion, from what you're hearing from buyers, uh, I know we're a little off script here. That's but, fine. Um, why, what do you mean? What's yeah, I know what we script. script. Uh, well, we had the talking points because we always like to be prepared. <laughs> but um, why are buyers feeling like things are rushed from a renewals or an expansion standpoint? Is it because there's no context or need or, uh, you know, sales professionals are looking for, you know, that expansion deal well, what, it, without, you know, mm. justifying the cost? Take me through that a little bit. Yeah. Um. I think that what we've heard from buyers, CISOs and the like in the space is when there's a new bit of budget uh, allocated to a problem that needs solving for the first time, mm-hmm. that tends to be treated a little different, right? You have the the people who are going to be using the tool, part of the advisory board or part of the resourcing group that help bring vendors in or suggest ways to solve this. You get you know, you fought for that budget. So you're really paying attention to where it's going next. Um, it sits more with your, your security team mm-hmm. to find the solution and test it, procure it, than it does with any other team in your organization. Procurement comes in at the last hurdle, right? Mm-hmm. With renewals, it's different. Uh, first of all, there's a lot of temptation to stick because of the pain of bringing someone new on anyway. So that tends to play a factor in wanting to actually go and go to market again and figure out whether this is the right tool still. Mm-hmm. Um, number two, well, we all know this. Once the deal has been signed, the vendor is not as motivated to c- continue to exceed your expectations and mm. to unlock every single feature and to give you good reporting that tells you exactly whether the tool is working or not. They just, you know, you're in now. So mm-hmm. you go to a different team from them. And thirdly, the the procurement side of things, the actually looking at that renewal as it's coming up and mm-hmm. evaluating it tends to slip to the procurement team who are dealing with every single purchase mm-hmm. organization. Yep. So it's not it's just it's just a different set of people with a different set of um, I guess, resources and amount of energy to dedicate to it. As well as and I hate to say it, I don't want to start dragging them too fast into this call, but VARS. Yes. Not not our favorite. Mm-hmm. player in the space right not our favorite type of agent in the space because I've, we've heard this from the lion's mouth what's the phrase the horse's mouth from the horse's mouth yeah, yeah. i'm rushing i'm english is a second language so i like blow <laughs> metaphors all the time that's okay you know i always tell people um here in israel when they come visit me you know ever since i moved to israel i'm completely illiterate in both languages english and hebrew so <laughs> yeah, uh, we, that- we heard from the bar is the ben, the bar's own mouth that the easiest money that they can bring in is a renewal right because that's just the same percentage the same vendor no extra effort needed so that's that's like a bad influence as well no yeah sorry for cutting you no 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 you're all good um cut cut off away that's totally fine we're having a an organic conversation here um i want to flip it now to the to the vendor side or the partner side, right? It should be the partner side. Mm-hmm. I've been on the, the I've been in a cybersecurity firm or two in my life. Uh, I've sold and marketed to to B two B tech buyers. In your interviews, ever since you've um, you know launched Quality, uh, in your interviews with with the vendors, what what are some of the challenges that they're experiencing in terms of the the buying process? Yeah, with security buyers. Yeah, um, yeah, it's interesting because. When I think about like the interviews we did, 
a lot of perceived like we really built quality from the interview part first. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of how we were taught to do it. That's <laughs> cool. Once really listen deeply mm-hmm. to the market before you even put pen to paper and draw your first paper prototype. Mm-hmm. So after quality launch, I'd say it's been less about interviewing, more about um uh we come to vendors of a buyer already. Yeah. Like that's kind of what we bring. And that's something that um, helps us to get in front of the right vendors and get the right conversations going. Some of the things that we've had that led us to this space and to building what we have is, you know, I like the most obvious thing that no one can can still shut people can't shut people can't stop bringing up still COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Like that changed so much for sales. What used to be um, a world where you could reach out to someone online, you could call the office number you could show up at an event you could meet them in all these different ways became very quickly a world where everyone just at the computer full stop yeah a lot of people didn't go back to work so um reaching out to an office number doesn't work anywhere as, as much as it used to either and you can't legally call a cell phone or right a lot of people still do it. yep so those conversion rates we were talking about you know one to two percent tanked even further yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah. if that was possible mm-hmm. um secondly i think this is kind of like a thing that has been true throughout all time. Marketing and sales don't like each other. And did you, did you ever experience this? I mean, I've definitely, I've definitely experienced silos between between departments, between the heads. I've seen, you know, uh, CROs and CMOs bump heads at the same rate. I've seen CROs and CMOs be BFFs, forever, mm-hmm. which I think is great. I've been on the two ends of the coin there, so. Yeah, maybe yeah. you're just playing with the bigger fish because I have I spend most of my time <clears throat> running or researching what to build, talking to the the, the people at the front line, mm-hmm. the SDRs, BDRs, the folks that are on the front line of like generating new business and then handing that over to an AE, right? Mm-hmm. So at those very low levels, um, or so to say, kind of the, the folks that are actually doing the work, um, there's a lot of misfire, miscommunication, kind of um, frustration. So both ways. So sellers will often say, okay, marketing, don't know how to qualify a lead. Or a lot of the meetings that are MQLs that I take are like with, you know, the receptionist's brother rather than like the actual <laughs> executive that I was hoping for. Things aren't stored properly in the CRM. Things aren't given the appropriate um, likelihood of closing, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So we've been hearing that a lot as well. And, and I think that's true in cybersecurity as well. And I think kind of, from what I remember, this is what you said led to you building audience first as well, is this realization that in this space in particular, what marketing think buyers want to hear and what buyers actually want to hear from vendors is just like chalk and cheese, like mm. three different things. Mm-hmm. And sellers are the ones that have to deal with that, right? Because they're getting leads that are um, lukewarm, mm-hmm. to say it nicely. Mm-hmm. So that's been an issue as well. And then I think the other thing that like really shocked me coming into it relatively cold um, you know, I say well to be cold, but getting immersed in this space in the last few years really and thinking about a solution is just the exasperation and the tone of, well, this is how it's always been. Mm-hmm. And this is how it always will be. Right. And it sucks to be an SDR. Mm-hmm. Suck it up. Yeah. That's the baptism of fire you have to do to become a good seller. It's like, well, well why do I have to spend six months of my career throwing darts at the wall in the dark mm-hmm. while drunk and blindfolded? And, and seeing what lands, like, why do we have to antagonize and ruin our brand, ruin our personal brand and our company's brand of all of these unnamed names at the end of the sequence? Um, 
those things are still, that's, that's been people for a long time. All right, well, let's flip it on its head. We've talked about a lot of challenges. I, I want to know, in your opinion, what are some ways both buyers and vendors can be more productive and efficient as an industry, in your opinion, in terms of the buying process and the way things are done? Um, yeah, I mean, look, a lot of it starts with what you and Dima and a bunch of us now in this space, Chris, have been propagating, which is you got to build relationship capital. I love that phrase so much. I've started like hashtagging it. I don't know if you noticed. Love it. You might want to trademark it at some point. <laughs> we love it too. We definitely need to create some like collaborative marketing resource at some point to explain what the hell that actually means. But yep. that is, that's the thing that's missing here. Um, and I can see why things have devolved, right? It's not like it's anyone's fault. Mm -hmm. It's not like you come in to a marketing or a sales org and you say, today I'm going to piss off some buyers. Like that's not, that's not what you come in thinking or wanting, but that's how the system works right now. You're not treating every buyer, potential target, whatever, as a person, you treat them as a number because until recently throwing money and bodies as a problem helped worked you know and you didn't have to worry about the rest of it and we're not in that kind of environment or economy anymore so things are going to have to change and like change pretty quickly so with vendors you know my my biggest takeaways my biggest bits of advice if i am allowed to have that position yet mm -hmm. relatively into the space is um get smarter about how you treat the top of that funnel mm -hmm. because CISOs talk mm -hmm. Y you know, mm -hmm. so you talk with the CISOs and there's a, oh, yeah. there's a lot of swear words thrown around when a particular vendor gets known for being a pain in the butt. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not, you can't treat the 96%, the 98%, the flip side of your incredible conversion rate as just, you know, a silent abyss. They're not, they're going to go out and they're going to trash you if you're mm -hmm. really treating them like a number. So get smarter about that. Um, get like think about where your spend is going mm -hmm. because those channels have really changed and just because you know that this is the way the industry's worked so far just because you've got 1.9 percent rather than 1.8 percent one year doesn't mean that this 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 is the way it's going to be forever like we should all be more gutsy about changing the script and changing how these things go and the more you stand out in those ways with a buyer the better you're going to do with a buyer mm -hmm. if you tell them look no we're don't we're not going to put you on a marketing outreach list just because you met me briefly at a conference we're not going to start bombing you and start figuring out your cell phone number we're not going to send you daily marketing updates whatever it is change all that um and with buyers i'd say like the market has really 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 changed um and grown crazy amounts of, like mm. four thousand vendors out there now Reaching 4,000 now, or was it 36 not long ago? 36 for products only. Oh, yeah. Wow, okay. If you add services providers into that, mm -hmm. we haven't even done the math, but like mm -hmm. it's going to be well over four for sure. Um, what does that mean? That means, and also remember, these vendors have been building have been building in a very healthy economy for the last five, 10 years. That's why we have so many. Mm -hmm. That's why it's exploded, and it's not just a bunch of big names and a bunch of top small names. There's a lot of things in the middle as well. You talked about solutions in one of your previous points, and you've created a solution to the problem. There's a tagline on your new website, which we'll, we'll link to this podcast episode. You mentioned vendor sourcing, helping, what, take me there, helping 
vendor sourcing this year or something like that. What was the what's the tagline? Optimized vendor sourcing and renewals. It was a take helping you reduce the pain of vendor sourcing to zero. Oh, we reduce the pain of vendor sourcing to zero. Okay, take me through what is that? All right, what's basically what's quality? What is what are you? What solution are you providing in uh, that you know solves the challenges we just discussed? Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, look, I think. The reason we get on so well, you and I, Danny, is because after meeting you and learning about what you were doing, I kind of had this like post post fact realization that in a way, what we're doing is we're taking the principles of building relationship capital mm-hmm. and we're turning them into the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. So, plain and simple, like that. The platform that we're building, you know, we are who we are is a Silicon Valley company, mm-hmm. born and bred. We have some very much smarter than me people working on the tech side of the business. Um, and we're trying to, we are building and we have, we'll be launching this month, um, the MVP for uh, a platform that lets buyers shop for vendors and find these up and comers, replicate the innovation showcase mm-hmm. at a conference mm-hmm. virtually without exposing themselves mm-hmm. to all of the toxic, bad sales and marketing behavior out there. Mm-hmm. We want to basically consumerize what that experience feels like to buyers mm. at Airbnb. You know, think of every consumer marketplace that you use and how nice and easy and intuitive it is relative mm-hmm. to when you buy any damn thing at B2B. Mm-hmm. We want to create a system where buyers can log in, see who the right handful of vendors are for either the most urgent needs or general kind of education of the space that they're interested in and meet them. Um, and have that sort of connection enabled by quality. Mm-hmm. For vendors, it's, I hate saying it, but it's lead gen 3.0. Mm-hmm. We're not bringing in leads. That's why I hate it. What we're doing is building an experience that also feels consumerized, more along this kind of Tinder framework. Mm-hmm. So that's what a lot of buyers describe us as. Vendors can submit, apply to the network, uh, apply to quality. You get in because we realize that you are in fact a cybersecurity vendor, et cetera. You tell us about your products and that becomes a, um, you know, a product, a, a card, a Tinder profile on the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's it. You, you, you can't go and search for buyers. Unfortunately, by building relationship capital, we have to change. Well, to change the rules of the game, we have to t- change some of the ways that it, things have been done in the past. Mm-hmm. But you can sit back and you can wait for your profile to be presented to buyers the buyer ops. If you if you are picked to be as a top three recommendation for a given buyer, you get to see the buyer's profile, but anonymized. So rather than John Doe at I don't know Facebook, you'll see CISO of big tech company headquartered in Silicon Valley mm-hmm. of this size, mm-hmm. with this security maturity, with this um, tech stack, with this need, with this job to be done, mm-hmm. with this requirement, basically, and with this budget. You get to see the output of what your BDR, SDR would collect from a call, mm-hmm. uh, and you get to opt in or, or not into serving that buyer mm-hmm. or getting to meet that buyer. If you opt in, then that profile goes back to the buyer. And then what we are showing there is information we got from you when you onboarded, which is things like what problem does your solution actually solve? Like mm-hmm. take out all of the nonsense, take out the zero trust 100 A to Z of cybersecurity, take all of that marketing bullshit out. Tell us what problem you solve and for whom. 
Mm-hmm. What features do you have? How do you differentiate versus competition? Who are your competitors? How are you different? Are you better? Or maybe are they better, if you're really honest? Mm-hmm. What's your what's your pricing based on? What text are you plug into? The mirror image of all those other data points that you described. Mm-hmm. And that's what the buyer will see. At that point, we have recommended that vendor is the best in the market, potentially, for those buyers' needs. The vendor has said, yes, I would want to meet this buyer because I think I can serve them. Mm. If the buyer says, yes, I accept this match, take a board. You have a match. Yeah, you have a match. Yeah. I, I love that. Uh, that is the handshake kind uh-huh. of uh, screen. We, we screen actually, we had an engineer working on it from Tinder, like a Tinder oh, wow. engineer okay. working on it for a little while and the UX has survived. So uh-huh. we, it literally looks like a little <laughs> dating application. But that's, that's what we're trying to do. And by building this from scratch, mm-hmm. by not we're, no, we're not yet a piece of gut now. We're not a large company trying to solve this after mm-hmm. realizing things are broken. Mm-hmm. By building it from scratch, it's enabled us to build with th- these three like key principles of mind, basically. Number one is um, quality. Mm-hmm. The data we're collecting is not the stuff you get from a data sheet or mm-hmm. the stuff you get from a website. Mm-hmm. It's from... Um, vendors articulating to us a differentiation, not in order to sell to a particular buyer, but in order to get the right matches to their doorstep because they only pay for meetings that they opt into. So right. they are motivated to tell us the, more of the truth, basically, about what they do. Mm-hmm. And we have this feedback loop where we're constantly check, checking the information, verifying it, curating, vetting, giving vendors internal scores, basically, mm-hmm. on how good they are and how honest they are and how good their product is. Two... Uh, integrity. So we work with any vendor. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of people can say that who are providing recommendations to buyers. We work with any vendor. The only way that you can get preferred status is by having a good product mm-hmm. that buyers love and treating buyers well on the first call. That's it. Mm-hmm. Can't pay. You can't pay. You can't um, bias our findings mm-hmm. by paying extra. You just have to. Give us a specific description of what you do and your buyer profile, ICP, and behave well on calls. Mm-hmm. That's all it takes. So that gives us more vendors to look at than, let's say, a bar. Mm-hmm. Um, number three, confidentiality. We want to protect buyers from the marketing outreach. So when we go shopping for a buyer, we keep that profile secret. And in general, all of our buyers opt into our rules of engagement, which means that when a buyer's profile goes to a vendor, they have to agree not to put that buyer on the marketing outreach list. Mm. There's one guy called um, <clears throat> one Scottish bearded man mm-hmm. <laughs> whose name rhymes with Riss Crobbitz, who um, gave us that idea and yes. has popularized it. So yes. now it means that buyers that we bring to vendors cannot be treated as a number, basically. We're mm. like protecting them against that yeah. treatment. And if vendors don't stick to those rules, then they're off the platform. So that's amazing. I love everything that you're mentioning. I can't wait to share it with everybody. Very long winded. No, no, amazing. <laughs> um, I want. I will play devil's advocate right now uh, with one question. Um, you mentioned the importance of building relationship capital. Mm-hmm. At some level, you're removing the relationship at a specific point in the buying process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're a proponent for building relationship capital at the same time you're removing that kind of element of let's kind of have a converse, yeah. conversation. Well, you're not because at one point they will have a conversation, We're but automating a part right, of right. the process exactly. that used to be still right. human to human. Exactly. Which, 
you know, in, in sometimes complex buying processes, that human to human is very, very beneficial. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you kind of alleviate or kind of bridge the gap that occurs potentially with that automation? That's a really good question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talk about it to buyers all the time. A couple of things. Number one, we are not replacing the wine and dine. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, Caesar. Mm-hmm. You can still soak up being the most popular person in the room at um, events that you choose to attend. Mm-hmm. Um, you can still like, you can still mm-hmm. play vendors off each other and enjoy all of the perks of you know having the power on, in this kind of exchange. Uh, what we're doing is we're optimizing how people spend their time just at the top of the funnel, mm-hmm. i.e. making sure that, hey, if you only have 10 hours to give to meeting new vendors in a given month, or you only have three CISO dinner invites that you're willing to accept in a given quarter, make sure you're going to the right vendors for that. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're spending time with the right vendors for that because no one enjoys, from what we've heard, the experience of, we're finally responding to a hounding vendor, finally jumping on the call, and then realizing very early on that there's some basic ass thing, like mm-hmm. their budget, their pricing is just well out of whack for your budget. Right. Or they don't plug into AWS, or um, they're very similar to a, another vendor that you've used for this problem or heard about and aren't differentiated in the way that matters to you. They lack a feature that you need. Something basic like that. Mm-hmm. Those are the re- things that we eradicate. So mm-hmm. we're not removing the human to human component so much as fostering the right humans mm-hmm. being in the room together at the right time mm-hmm. um so that's one element of it the other element of it is unlike resellers unlike integrators we don't hold the hand of the vendor through their cold sales mm-hmm. cycle we mm-hmm. actually don't even attend the first call mm-hmm. we are just focused on improving part that is the most frustrating mm-hmm. for this entire thing, which is the top of the funnel. Mm-hmm. Um, we're giving vendors the opportunity to sell direct. We're not taking ARR from them. We take a finder's fee for the meeting and that's it. Mm-hmm. So you can do your human to human magic touch. Just don't waste your time doing it with buyers who aren't going to, what's the word? Bite. Right. And buyers don't waste, don't spend the time that you should be, you could be using on all the other 100 things you have to do just on that given day with vendors who, for a very obvious reason, that could be on a database mm-hmm. platform by somewhere, just isn't going to be a thing. Right. So if I understand correctly, just in short, kind of recapping everything for the buyer, this is a repository where they can connect with the right product given their current requirements. And then for the vendor side, it's a repository and a service where they could, uh, or a product, quality is product now, where they could connect with high intent buyers based on the fit of the product and the requirements of the buyer. Yes, exactly. Matching buyers' needs to vendors, differentiation, and ICP. That is amazing. And I've been on a few podcast episodes, Audience First, where my guests have mentioned that they wanted something like this. So I will send them the link. And yes. I'm sure they will be very thrilled. I tripped out when I was listening to a podcast of yours where someone just like reeled off the business plan of quality. Yeah. And I was like, damn, did mm-hmm. we have the same dream or something? Because, well, it's needed. There's that validation. Yeah. Um, I love it. So we're heading towards the end of the session. I do want to ask you if there are any kind of feedback points that you've gotten from buyers that are helping you, um, you know, helping you formulate next steps for quality. Yes. Yeah. 
one of the really exciting things that um, has happened in the last few months that we were working on just earlier today is um, for, like if we go back to the beginning of our, of our time tonight and uh, the problems that I was discussing bias had come to us with as top of mind, mm-hmm. how can we address each of those? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Because that's not as, as we continue to yell from the rooftops, um, no two buyers are alike, mm-hmm. no two need profiles are alike. That's the whole point of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But it also means that what we've learned is how buyers engage with vendors are different as well. Mm-hmm. Some buyers just actually, actually have time to meet vendors, actually set aside Friday mornings once a month to meet vendors. They have a calendar. They will accept decent cold outreach and fill that calendar with those vendors. That's very kind. And it's it's a chunk of the market that we think really wants to help. And I can shout out Brent definitely mm-hmm. for a great example of that. One of your big fans as well. Um, but, you know, what hurts for him is the quality of the vendors that are entering that pipeline because all he has to go on is their outreach mm-hmm. or the way that they position themselves or maybe a recommendation. But generally, he's accepting good outreach. So for, for buyers who maybe don't have that many purchases in a given year but do understand that part of their job is to meet vendors and to know what's happening in the market, mm-hmm. um, there's a kind of educate me, explore mm-hmm. option at quality, which is completely free, by the way, for mm-hmm. buyers, uh, where you just tell us what you're interested in, the themes you're interested in, the um, types of vendors you're going to meet. Are you okay with non-US based? Are you okay with non-pure place? So chunks of bigger businesses that do cybersecurity alongside other products. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with very early stage, like would need a design partner kind of mindset? What are your preferences? Um, and let us send you three recommendations every three weeks where you can just look at these vendors and, and see if you want a conversation. They know you're not looking to buy necessarily right now, but mm-hmm. they're open to meeting you. That's one model. And that's going to, I hope, I hope I can say this, stay free for a very long time because that's, that's the, that, that's not a ton of sort of our backs. And it's a great way to get those vendors in front of buyers that wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Then there's the kind of, okay, I have this thing on fire right now and I need to solve it. And guess what? It's in two weeks that we need to make a decision. Or oh, I have this vendor who I love, but my procurement people are saying, you have to look at two other ones as well. Like, mm-hmm. help me figure out who those names are that I should be meeting. Mm-hmm. That's our classic kind of, you know, that's where we started really is. How can we accelerate that path to POC and take it down to days rather than weeks or months? Mm. Um, and then the other one, interesting one that's come out is like, this pain around, okay, you've helped me solve this urgent need. You've accelerated my timeline, et cetera. Great. But this is one of like 10 or 15 things that I need to deal with. Right? Mm-hmm. We're hearing from buyers. I have three new budget allocations to spend. I promised to, to like solve. I had eight renewals coming up and I'm exploring these other things. Like, mm-hmm. And all those timelines are going to move. This actually tends to happen more at the larger organizations. So like we're working with Fortune 10 and a public company um, in, in the Valley, which who are expressing this need, like, okay, all well and good that you can help move one, but what happens when that one gets pushed out two quarters? It's still important. It needs to be solved, but it's going to happen later. All those vendors are now like knocking on my door, be like, hey, hey, how's that deal going? How's it going? How's it going? And again, I can, we can understand the pain from the vendor side because it's like, you need deal visibility. Ideally, people don't go cold in you. Ideally, you, you hear, this is cold for now, but it's going to come back to it next month. Mm-hmm. How many deals get lost because of that? Like so many. And that's a problem with the CRM, it's a problem of any turnover. But what we what we 
we've, we've devised and what we're building and what's going to be really the focus of our build with the fundraise that we're embarking on next month um, is a procurement manager tool, an always-on retainer that lets buyers see the entire suite of things that they're buying or renewing in a given year, mm-hmm. move those things around, and we handle all of the comms on that. Wow. So the vendors get the notification saying, you know, buyer X has moved the timeline to this date um, and they are incentivized to stay on the platform of quality, keep getting other buyers, so they're not incentivized to start bashing on that CISO's door saying, right. are you sure you don't want to buy before my quarter ends because I really <laughs> need to hit quota, et cetera. So that kind of bird's eye view tool is something that we were building as well. I think everything that we've built has come directly from CISOs asking for it. That's wow. been our guideline always and it's taken us in some directions that I never expected. Right. And that takes me to my uh, point that I posted last week was that, uh, you know, good marketers listen to other good marketers, great marketers listen to their buyers and legendary marketers build with their customers. So I love it. This has been an absolute pleasure. One more thing before we sign off, anything you want to impart on the audience today? Yeah. Um, things aren't going to change. Unless you stop complaining and start actually doing the thing. Mm. I do think that there's a lot of anger around this problem. There's so much anger. And so it needs a a place to splash out. And I get that. Mm -hmm. Trust me, I get that. This is why we're building here. Because we see all your anger. We see your frustration. Both the external things on LinkedIn, from more from the buyer side. But also like the layoffs, the cuts, the savagery that happens inside the sales org. It's a really hard market right now. And things just can't continue as they are. And I would love to see some of that energy, that frustration, that fear, that um, that really negative affect uh, attached to these issues transformed into actual action. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean everyone has to go and start a company immediately. Like, I think it's a great thing to do, although it's also the hardest job in the entire fucking world. As, <laughs> as you can imagine. Yeah. So that's maybe another podcast. But... Think about how, what tools exist out there, what initiatives you can support, mm-hmm. what, um, what, who's doing a good job, right? Who, what vendor can you uplift and say, hey, I've seen them do something great. Yes. Others be like you. Yes. So we can turn a lot of this negativity into positive affirmation, positive action. What's like training a dog? It's the treats that get you to change. It's not the, you know, wax on the butt or whatever. Yes. So I would love for that. Spread love, spread positivity, <laughs> not hate to be my message. I love it. This has been an absolute pleasure. I'm so stoked that we got to do this in person because we've been planning this, what, for about two months or so? Yeah. But I'm really, really thrilled that we've, we've uh, nailed this uh, in person. I hope this has been a pleasurable experience for you as the first, is this is your first podcast? It's my first podcast. First podcast. So my there voice was definitely shaking in the beginning. Yes. But we can edit that out. We're all good. I think it was great. You did a, you did a great job. I love what you're doing. Keep on with the mission. And uh, I hope to have you. You're always welcome back to the show. Uh, we could do uh, part two to see where things are after you launch the, the mm. was the procurement. Uh, the, we're, we're figuring out the Always on retainer. Yeah. yeah. Is currently what we're working on. Yeah. But yeah. W- when that comes out, um, yeah, I'm definitely love yes. to, to let you go help me. And good it. luck. Good luck. Good luck at Cybertech. I'm so thrilled that also you got to be with your team in person yeah. for the first time. So. 
Um, yeah, good luck with that. It's always nice to find out how tall people are. Yes, I. <laughs> first thing I said when I met you, wow, you're much taller than I thought. But uh, I love it. Uh, True men who's in the background, our pop for support, our pod pup for the day, mm. Filippo, who's uh, in our um, social media snapper with the, the photos in the background. <laughs> this was great. Thank you very much. This has been another episode of Audience First. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Audience First. If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.